Welcome back, vagrants, to another Dispatch from Zyja Station. I'm Barbie. And I'm Christine. Today on the podcast, we're talking episode two, which is titled Yippee Kaye. Its original air date was April 3rd of 2020 here in the United States. Directed by Jim Garrard and written also by, by her. And this episode, in a nutshell, the team is forced to stop for repairs, but the cannibals who reside there have other plans. So you might as well start out with a bit more of a recap of the episode just to refresh your memory. Last episode, we met all the key players. This episode, we get more of a sense of who they are as people. So we are on planet Grebos, where two of our trio end up getting kidnapped by cannibals, saved, re-kidnapped, only to be forced to karaoke their way to freedom with some ass-kicking along the way. Meanwhile, of course, Lazaro is doing his thing, doing what he does, ignoring orders to return to Ariopa after his constant failures, also trying to get what he can out of Nim in the, in the process. Turns out he wasn't so dead after all. Not that that exactly works out, in, uh, and I think it really goes to show just how far Lazaro was willing to go to get what he wants. Yeah, we really see how uh, sociopathic he really is in this episode, uh, at least starting to. Not that we don't see that, at least a little bit in episode one, of course, but it really starts to come on display here. The episode starts with Isaac and Alita very much at odds with one another, which I think is really the meat of this episode. We see right away that Alita is annoyed that Isaac has to even help her get the fuel for the ship. So he, she just doesn't want to do anything with him. She can't stand him for a minute. And who blames her? He did sell her out, after all. We learn how they met at, and the start of their relationship. And we also see the exact circumstances of Isaac shooting Alita, the famous you shot me, of course. Yes, this is very much an episode, I think, of character development, where the two of them really start to heal the wounds that were made when they split up a few months beforehand, as we, of course, see on screen. And I feel like, ultimately, we get to a point here where Amei has to be the glue that keeps the team together, even begrudgingly. Certainly, we don't see the conflict between Alita and Isaac go away so easily, but I think this is where we start to really see it more fully addressed. For sure, Amei really comes in, like you said, and, and is the glue, uh, and we see how much she's needed. But can we talk about the life-or-death karaoke battle? Oh, we absolutely can. I think we, I, we, we'd have to at some point. Oh, yeah, might as well start right out with it. I know I would be flame-broiled if it were me. What about you? Yeah, I would be pretty much screwed. <laughs> do you do you sing karaoke? Do you have a favorite song? It's been a long time, I can tell you that much, and I, I've never been all that good with karaoke, even despite years in choir. I'm just sort of there. My range is just really not conducive to anything remotely poppy. Yeah, I I think I sang karaoke one time during my mom's 50th uh, surprise party, and that was it. Wow. And I don't even remember what song I sang or what the circumstances were, other than uh, I think my siblings and I were all up there. 
Fun times. Oh, yeah. Well, did you know that Adrian Ray, the actress who plays Alita, is actually a very good singer, even if Alita, her character, is not? I honestly did not know that. That, that just adds an extra layer to all of this. And, and going back to episode one, I don't think anyone figured the seemingly throwaway line, do I look like I karaoke, would actually be foreshadowing. It was, I think, a great callback. Absolutely a great callback and really just a great scene uh, in on the whole. This is, I would argue, really the heart of this entire show condensed down into one scene. I mean, I certainly can't imagine karaoke being the difference between life or death at the hands of cannibals, and yet here the team is, and I think they fight their way out of it magnificently. As we talked about, I know I'd probably be toast if I were in their shoes, but just the the, the whole complexity of it all, just that that's what especially makes the scene what it is. Hard same. After the trio is reunited and escaping, there's major hesitation to make a plan that Amei so desperately wants to, which of course leads to their second capture and ultimately the karaoke battle. But luckily, Amei is with them and is able to help heal the relationship between Isaac and, and Alita. And we really get a glimpse of how big Amei's heart is and, and how she reacts to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? contention yeah I, I mean like i said this is very much an episode of character development and even for still not knowing alita and isaac all that well here this is where we really start to see ma become the heart of the group even if the others don't really realize it yet they may not necessarily trust her all that much yet but these things don't happen overnight you know Yep, and so let's move from characters to cinematography. The colors in this episode, the episode is so bright. Last episode, we were kind of confined, confined to Zyja Station, which seems more like a metropolis in space or like a giant indoor mall. And this episode, we land on the planet, and there's blue sky with white clouds. Sounds familiar. And a lush, mm. a lush, although trashed, green ground. And I love the bright yellow communicator against the darker backdrop. It was super noticeable and, and really made the color pop. Maybe not something you want when you're trying to be stealthy, but <laughs> I liked it as a viewer. Oh, absolutely. There, there's a lot more contrast just in terms of color this episode. I think this is when we really start to see all the variety this galaxy, not ours, has to offer. Here's a planet that I'm, I'm sure at one point was extremely beautiful, but then the Narrows War happened, which we're not told much about it here, but war, as they say, is hell. So I think we can all imagine the toll it took on the planet. Yeah, you can definitely see that it's it's ravaged. Um, I think they had kind of like some plastic bags or or some sort of refuse kind of floating around as the ship landed. I think the best colors were in the flashbacks, though. That's where it really got super Absolutely. bright. Yeah, Planet Oro uh, was really bright. It really contrasted with Planet Gribos, where our heroes are in present day. I think one of the one of the 
more colorful aspects was the whip that Alita steals from the spider uh, that has a greenish hue and the tow cable especially that was attached to the Winnipeg was a vibrant teal color. Of course, uh, on the whole, I would say really this is an episode of contrast and not just in terms of cinematography, really in terms of just the episode overall, whether it's the contrast between light and dark or vibrant and dull or contrasting beginnings with ends because, of course, we see how Isaac and and Alita meet, but we also see how they end up splitting off from one another. And how they kind of get back together towards the end of the episode. Yep, definitely. Speaking of the flashbacks, last episode, we got a little insight on what happened to Alita as a teenager, how she came to be out in the world, so to speak. Right away, we see she's not the innocent teenager we saw last episode. She's kind of had to harden her exterior and and be tough. And she just exudes confidence from the moment we see her in that first flashback. Right. At this point in the flashbacks that we see in this episode, her life as a scavenger, I would argue, is the natural manifestation of her mother's advice to never trust anybody. Because... Then the nature of scaving really necessitates going it alone. Yeah, you don't generally trust people because I'm sure you get screwed over a lot. The episode really lends a clearer picture of her relationship with Isaac. We learn about him a little. Uh, He came from Canada. And apparently Canadian survival is just as brutal as being raised as a scavenger. Sure, Isaac. Uh Uh-huh. Um, And then how he came to be here, which the long story is he was catapulted to one side of the universe two years ago and just has been trying to get home, which is not a long story as he thought. Though we do eventually learn that, of course, there's more to it than that. Yeah, and somehow he acquired a ship within those two years. I have no idea how you just kind of happen upon that, but... With the ship came a lot of parking violations. And as Isaac says, and I do not blame him, it is legit hard to understand parking regulations in space. I mean, it's hard enough to understand them here on this planet. Can you imagine how it is perhaps elsewhere in the in this galaxy, let alone this other galaxy that we see here? I cannot. And I think what we really see here is what makes Isaac and Alita able to work together so well as part of the team. Isaac even pointed out during the episode after Alita saves him the line, You are ridiculously badass and I'm, well, more personable. They may not always get along as we of course eventually see, but they do balance one another out where they can't balance each other out. May is the heart of the team is there to help. Yeah, I think the accumulation of them as a team, I mean, they have such distinctive personalities. Uh, You know, Alita is this tough badass. Isaac is kind of the, I'm going to talk my way out of this and, you know, not use not use so many weapons. And May just kind of takes a step back and can really see things as a whole and what needs to be done in order to do it. Of course. In a later flashback now, we look at the duo on planet Varuk. 
clearly working great. You know, everything's going fine. They're getting paid. But Isaac learns Elita is actually sought after as a queen. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Plot twist. Uh, and you could tell he's really hurt that she didn't trust him with that information. But she hasn't trusted anyone. Right, because, of course, as we talked about, that's how she was raised. Not not to give that trust to other people because it can lead to disaster. Yeah, killings and all kinds of all kinds of things. But there are mistakes on both sides here. And I I don't know who's more in the right. I kind of see, you know, both of them. I don't think Isaac understands how scared Alita is about trusting people. And I don't think Alita gives Isaac enough credit because he did pay the guy in the the guy in the bar his share of their of their big payday to keep him quiet and to protect Alita. Right. I think we also have to remember this all happens in the space of a few minutes here. I mean, what would you do if suddenly you were out of your work partner as a queen? And what would you do if your work partner wanted to take advantage of that for that matter? You you can imagine just how uncomfortable and scared Alita was in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I don't blame either of them how they how they reacted you know Elita kind of she took off Elita took off with the Winnipeg and of course here here's where we have the the circumstance where Isaac shoots her I mean she really she literally binds him so he can't move uh so he that's the only thing he can do is is move his move around and and shoot at her and you have to wonder how he ended up getting out of that yeah I wonder if some other person or alien passed by and saw that he needed help. I don't know. And and of course, he does eventually get out of it. Perhaps the circumstances of that don't matter so much, but I think really what we get out of this as a whole is that Alina's history, as we've seen, is a very touchy thing for her. And sure, she does act a bit rashly here, but under the circumstances, I would say she's well within her right to act that way. For sure, yes. Um, so speaking of character development, we also get to dig in a little bit more to meeting Amei. And, I mean, right from the very first line in the show, uh, she you can tell that she is so excited about everything about the ship and what it has to offer. Of course. And speaking of character development, we really get to dig in a little bit more about and learn more about Amei. Um, and right from the get-go, we see that she is excited about the Winnipeg, the ship, and all it has to offer. We saw last episode that she's very particular about organization, and we see that play out a little bit more here. Oh, of course. She's more concerned with the cleanliness than she is about a potentially dangerous beast that makes its way on the ship. <laughs> Priorities, Ame. <laughs> Um, we do see that she holds her own during the fight, though, but I think it would have been a little bit easier if they had reliably charged guns. Yeah, that, that's one of the downsides of technology. I mean, it's great when it works like it's supposed to, but if you can't be bothered to keep things charged, then then, then I guess you could say you kind of brought that on yourself. 
Yeah, I don't think she realized just how inept that Isaac and, and Elita, whoever had the ship or whoever was in charge of charging, um, that they really didn't do the best job. But of course, it, she, she's good enough on the technology front, but, but where Amay really shines too is just as far as being a people person, I would say. Definitely a, a people person. Of course, speaking of people, she does have a new character that she becomes as a mossy junk creature when she goes to save Isaac and Alita when they have not answered any of her calls. Right, she's the closest thing the group has to a master of disguise. We we talked earlier about how how Isaac describes himself as more personable, and here we see Ame is even more personable than that. She knows what she has to do to really fit in in any given situation. She knows how to go about the troubles Isaac and Alita are going through, and she certainly knows how to spring into action when the situation calls for it. Yeah, and that kind of is a little bit of a an Amita moment that Elita trusts Ame to rescue them when she barely knows her. And Ame does come to the rescue as, as this mossy junk creature. Even if there are some mumps along the way. <laughs> Just a couple. Damn if this isn't the episode that c- cements Ame's badassery. She's certainly the heart of the team, but I'll be darned if she isn't a good fighter, too. Oh, yeah, she definitely has kicking down to a science, as we saw in the prison cell. Um, She had to fight one of the cannibals in her valiant rescue. And I honestly, I I don't think that she realized that the cell walls were electric because she seemed a little upset that the bad guy actually got toasted. I think she was just looking to disable him uh, as opposed to actually really hurt him. Right, she's certainly the sort of fighter that would be understandably antsy about actually having to hurt people. Yeah, and this isn't the first time that that we see that. But not only is she a good fighter, she comes in with the big save during the karaoke battle. Oh, of course. I mean, you see when they're in the cage, Isaac and Alita really don't know how to handle it. And Ame jumps in and just starts belting out the song. Which was the moment they finally put their differences aside and worked together for the first time all episode. And they just really came together and, and sang. And it was amazing. Exactly. It's a wonderful moment of character development. I mean, here they've spent the episode talking through these things and really trying to heal up the wounds that have developed. And this is where we see that put into action. In, in part, it's because of Amay's ability to adapt to the situation so easily. It gives Alita and Isaac that encouragement they need. It really sells them on that idea of, you know what? Yes, we have our differences, but we are in this together. And that is what ends up saving them. Yeah, I mean, that's she She comes in for the save. And then we have the, the epic battle following the, the karaoke where... Elita kind of as a throwback to when they were getting along and escaping the the yippee kaye moment uh, where she takes the microphone and, and swings and and it kind of leads into our our next mannequin challenge right it's it's just a wonderful parallel it, it, it goes to show how here they are finally back to working together again as a team 
So let's switch topics and talk creatures. The first one we run into in in the episode is uh, this adorable furry green thing that (laughs) kind of becomes slightly less adorable as it pukes seconds after we see it, giving us a glimpse into even the cute things can be pretty gross. Yeah, this certainly isn't our galaxy. Yeah, and we also, of course, see these gorilla-esque creatures that are called beaters and... Of course, the cannibals, the indigenous cannibals species of the episode that cause us all of our, our difficulties. And this is where I have to give massive credit to the design team. They really know how to make each of these worlds that we see so unique. And that is part of what keeps this show so fresh is, is that world building from week to week. I mean, you never necessarily know what you're going to get going into each episode. Right, exactly. They definitely do a great job. One thing, on the other hand, you do know you're probably going to get in in each episode is some Amida moments, and I think we certainly got some here. Yes, we did. Uh, Pretty quickly, I think, this episode. Uh, You know, Alita was thanking Amei for helping them get off Saija, and then reassuring her that they're dropping her off as soon as they can because Alita doesn't want more blood on her hands. Which Amei counters with, yep, haven't forgotten since the last time you told me. And of course we get the sense that Amei does not want to be dropped off quite yet. And after they have that conversation, Isaac reassures Amei that Elita turns to mush if she sees pictures of Earth kittens. And we see immediately Amei goes rushing back to the pilot's chair as soon as they leave <laughs> and looks up Earth kittens. Um, sounds like something is forming. Yeah, this is where we really start to see the bonds start to take shape, and you really start to see the nature of their relationship. Alita just wants to do her best at this point to keep Amei safe, but 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 Amei wants to stick around because in spite of everything that Alita's been through after all these years, Amei knows that Alita deserves to be able to connect with people and really find love, too. Sure, she may be queen, and sure, this may be her life now, a life on the run, but why shouldn't she be allowed to at least be a little selfish? She shouldn't have to give up everything. And I think that in part is what commit convinces Amei to stick around, that idea that A, the team needs her help, and B, just that idea that Alita deserves better. Yeah, I don't think Alita realizes that having a love life is even an option at this point. Like when Amei is talking to her brother, Chaz makes this comment about her booty calls all over the galaxy, which Amei kind of brushes off. And then Chaz immediately asks about Alita and then warns her not to get too close. So I wonder if that's because Chaz has seen something that Alita may have gone through during during their friendship um, because he seems to be a confidant and maybe he's the only person in the galaxy or the only alien I should say in the galaxy that she can talk to openly I mean a brother-sister relationship will will generally have that sort of dynamic won't it yeah for sure let's see do we want to talk about did we talk about Lazaro yet we have not talked about Lazaro yet and we really ought to Yeah, he has plenty of moments this episode, and I said last time 
that Lesbro needs some therapy. I stand even more by that after this episode. Yeah, we did touch on Lazaro, but the um the first scene with Lazaro, the sol- he's reprimanding the soldiers and they have to explain that the queen got away again and Lazaro just can't stand the ineptitude. So that goes back to he just has this t- terrible temper. And honestly, I can't entirely blame him m- much as I may not like him. I mean, he is so fed up at this point. He had the queen that close after all these years, and still she managed to get away. And I would argue his desire to really capture her and put an all an end to all of this is pretty much all-consuming. After all these years, it's what defines him, and, it, and it's part of what makes him so cruel and cold-hearted, this desire to just get it all over with. We do get a little humor, though, with Lazaro's video call to the admirals, and it cracks me up, and there's no way I could do it any justice, so I'm just going to throw in the audio clip right here. Niger territories fall well outside the Republic sectors. You are to leave immediately. The last of a tyrannical bloodline was spotted here. We are close. Yes, it's awkward. Oh. We've heard that so many times now, Lazaro. Look, an ex-marquis failing multiple times to catch one teeny tiny little queen. (laughs) You are aware, Admiral, that title was abandoned long before the aristocracy was abolished, long before I stormed the castle while you all watched on comfortably. Is is that a dig? You're to send the Thunderer back here to Areopa, where you'll be reassigned. No. Lazaro. The Queen is not yet... Dead. Yes, yes, yes. We're all very aware. You're wasting too many resources. You failed. Return to Areopa. Of course, Admiral. We set course for Areopa immediately. Oh. Okay, then. (laughs) Well, we'll, uh... So this is, without a doubt, one of the comedic highlights of the episode. This is where we really start to see the difference between the leadership Lazaro serves and Lazaro's own desires, and, and he takes this arguably a lot more seriously than the leadership here. Yeah, and I just, I have to call out Robin Scott, who plays Admiral Reichel, just does an amazing job in that, oh, in that yes. clip. And, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and she just is hilarious and can't get enough of her. Yep, same here. And, and of course, this is far from the last we see of her. True, true. But of course, if we're talking Lazaro, we also need to talk about Nim. Oh, Nim, we lost you before, but now we really lose you. Rip. Did he, yeah. Did he really have to go out that way, though? Like, why didn't he kill Lazaro if he had the chance? I think we have to remember here that, that we, we try our best not to deal in what could have been. Certainly, if someone wants to dive into that in fan fiction or something like that, nothing's stopping them. But here we deal in actualities. And as it is, I think Nim made even more of a noble sacrifice here. And I can see where he's coming from that... 
He would rather sacrifice himself than risk giving Lazaro any ammunition to use against Alita and her friends. Yeah, his sense of loyalty is is unparalleled, I would say. And I I wonder if that is a Tuck trait or if it's just Nim. I mean, I'd like to think that this won't be the last we see of the Tucks. Yes, renew Vagrant Queen. Hashtag renew Vagrant Queen. Yeah, so let's go back to the Amida moments and towards the end of the episode. We end it with some really good Amida content. First, we have Elita rescuing the robot just because she saw how excited Ame got over it. That's a great first gift, wouldn't you say? To say the least, and we'll see before long just how good of an idea that was. Yeah, definitely. The look that Alita gives, it, she just looks so proud when Ame sees it. And I have given that same look when I'm so excited uh, giving a gift to someone I love and watching them open it. Right. This is a big moment for these two. So Ame has some real words of wisdom following the 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 gift of the robot. And I am going to play that because it's it's so poignant and so important and really gives a sense of who Ame is and what she fights for. I've seen blood, war, pain more than you understand. Like you, I've spent my life just surviving. Yeah, but it's not your fight. Imagine if everyone thought that. It would be a pretty schlucky universe. Excuse my language. Well, um, make up a room for you. So, yeah, you really get a sense of Ame and her huge heart and what she's been through and how she sees the world. And, of course, how can you say no? Alita lets her on and, and she says, all right, you can come with us. Right, I mean, who could possibly de- deny Ame after a moment like that? I, you would have to be pretty crazy. Agreed. So that's kind of, that's the episode. Um, how did you like it? I, I I thought this was a very, very good second episode. Better than very good, even. I mean, if the first episode is the foundational episode, this is when you start to really build on those things. And as it is, I think everybody did a fantastic job of building on it yes uh definitely it's you know step one was the exposition step two is the character development and they really they followed through with that i think and it goes to show how this show just keeps getting better and better as far as rating the show i would give this episode seven and a half karaoke cages of death and i along similar lines would have to give it 12 starships. Um, yeah, so I think the, the best part of the episode for me was the karaoke scene. Every part from when Alita is ready for hand-to-hand combat, she's kind of gearing up, and then to Amei saving the team, to using the microphone to swing out and get the fight going. Yes, it is, without a doubt, the highlight of this episode is we were talking about it so perfectly in, encompasses that mix of badassery and lightheartedness that is Vagrant Queen. 
I feel like if you were to show someone interested in the show, someone curious about the show, one scene to get them hooked, this is the one. Yeah, and I'm just going to play the karaoke portion of their of their battle. Oh my god. It's karaoke. Looking in your eyes, I can see a paradise. I mean, that's that really is just such a good moment, one worth watching and rewatching. Yeah, I think I rewatched that episode pretty close after I watched it live, and then I watched just the karaoke scene over and over and over. And I can't blame you one bit. So that's the episode discussion. Let's move into some fandom news. So starting out with just some business regarding the episode we just talked about, we we might as well talk ratings. I mean, as we've discussed, it's a big deal. This particular episode got 310,000 viewers, and that's a fair bit of a drop from episode 165,000 viewers down. But all the same, we have to remember that there are not terribly many shows that end up keeping the exact audience they've got during episode one. And on the whole, it ended up placing 124th among all the new episodes of all the shows airing on cable that Friday. And as far as that precious 18 to 49 viewer demographic, it dropped a few points here. It went down to a .06. Last episode, it was .1. And so it's... It's a drop, certainly, but still not a terrible performance by any means. And while we're talking about that, the, the, the Renew Vagrant Queen Power Hours are still going. And of course, if you want more information on those, you can check out our Twitter page. Of course, that wasn't the only thing that happened this week. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, so Adrian Ray has uh, done these Fan Fridays for a few weeks. Um, she had them going and then took a little break which i totally understand and they came back this past week for us adrian had some of her co-stars on this last fan friday which was really nice to see she had robin scott who plays uh admiral reichel as we as we mentioned earlier 
and Leon Klingman and Kino Lee. And so it was really nice to kind of uh, see them interact with Adrian and able to answer some fan questions during the video or during the Fan Friday. The inst- it was on Instagram, Instagram Live. We learned that Leon Klingman actually broke some ribs in one of the episodes. Which, ouch. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, not the only injury on set. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess that comes with the territory of these sorts of things. You know, it's an action show. It, it really is. You, you can't not have some something happen. Apparently, this guy's a real beast. He's gone skydiving, so he's brushed off a couple of broken limbs, probably. And then you have Robin Scott, who really, this last ep- the episode that aired this past week, she was able to kind of cozy up to Tim. No spoilers, but we'll see that a little bit later. For, for clarifications, for, for those of you listening to us later on, as we record this episode, episode eight just aired in the United States here this past Thursday. Yes, we are looking looking ahead to episode nine, but we'll get there. We'll get there in the podcast. No worries. Yep. Just you wait. Uh, we also had some listener comments. S. Taylor 111 on Twitter says that they love the nod to action movies Yibikaye is obvious, landing on a garbage planet and being held captive, forced to compete for their lives, like Thor Ragnarok, the Winniebot chase scene from every action movie, all ter- all turned on their heads. And these are great points. I can't really say anything about them just because I don't really watch action movies. Um, I actually watched Die Hard for the very first time only because the episode was named after a line from the from the movie. I know it's a classic, but I'd, I had just never seen it before. And I have not really seen all that much in the way of action movies either, but even for someone like me who's not really seen any of these movies, the, these ideas really stand up well when you put them together. And on the whole, the whole thing is just refreshing. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it really, it takes from from our culture and you know like last episode they had some nods to uh, Star Wars but yeah you can you can tell that that Jem really puts some thought and and wants to kind of salute other genres and other pop culture right and I think that's all that also certainly helps in keeping the show fresh yeah so that'll wrap it up Thank you so much for listening to our discussion. Um, Christine, where can we find you on social media? I am very consistent. I am Retro Time Lady across Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. And you can find me at OnlyOneLea on Twitter and Instagram. I do not do Tumblr. It uh, it confuses me. (laughs) And that is valid. So fo- so give, give us a follow We're on whatever social media platforms you're on. Next week, we will talk episode three of the first season called Nobody's Queen. And we're looking forward to it and hope you will, too. Keep listening now to hear about all the different ways you can support our dispatches. For now, though, until the next dispatch from Zygestation, this has been a podcast 
from another galaxy. Not, Not yours. yours. We are a fan-driven podcast, which means you help us do what we do, so we appreciate any way you can show your support for our work. You can find us on Twitter at Zyja Dispatch Pod. That's X I J A D I S P A T C H P O D. There you can find current news about Vagrant Queen, our podcast, and many other things happening in the fandom. You can also support us on a long term or short term basis through Patreon. Your subscription there helps us cover expenses for the podcast, whether it's hosting costs or giveaways or anything else that makes us the best fan space it can be. To find us on Patreon and to get more information, just go to patreon.com and search Zyja, X-I-J-A. And of course, as a fan podcast, we want to hear from you, the fans. Our email is vagrantqueenpod at gmail.com. You can send us a text or voice recording, whether it's about what's happening on the episode, your thoughts on the show as a whole, or what we're doing here on the podcast. This is an inclusive space, so send us your comments or feedback and make yourself heard. Finally, Podbean hosts new episodes of our podcasts. That's where you can go to find the latest episodes of our programs and keep up to date on what's happening in our galaxy. We also have transcripts available if you need them. That's at zygestation.podbean.com. Till next time, Zygestation, over and out.